I want to welcome you this morning. We invite you to stand with us as we begin our time of worship together. As we turn our minds' attention to the Lord. As we give praise to the King, our Lord and Savior. Let's sing this together. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing all through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. Sing praise the King, He is risen. Praise the King, He is risen. Praise the King, He's alive. Praise the King,
Isaiah 61 verses one through four says, the spirit of, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Father, I pray this morning that we would do as Isaiah does, and he sets his sights on the Messiah. Father, in the next few moments as we worship you, as we come to hear even your word taught, Father, I pray that our sights would be set on the Messiah, that we would see that, that you had anointed him to come to bring the good news to the poor, that we would see that you brought Jesus to set free the captives, to set free us who are enslaved to our sin, in bondage to sin. Father, I pray that we would set our sights on you and on your son, Jesus, as we see that you bring the Lord's favor, as we see that you have forgiven us because of what he's done. Father, may we now turn and worship you and worship the Messiah. We love you. Amen.
We know that our hope is found only in Jesus, in the blood of the cross, in his resurrection. Let's sing together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. Here 
Father God, we thank you for that truth, that we have hope because of Jesus, because he chose to come to earth and to live as a man, to live without sin, to be the only acceptable sacrifice for sinful man, us. God, thank you for that gift of Jesus that gives us hope gives us freedom from sin. God, this morning, as we come to your word, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the truth of your word. God, reveal yourself to us that we would know you more and see more of your majesty and glory before we leave today. God, thank you for your mercy grace and your forgiveness and we thank you for Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Norris Ferry. How is everyone doing this morning? Great, great response this morning. I love it. My name is Kevin Wilsey, and I am a minister on staff here. I am the minister of community group and operations here at Norris Ferry. So thank you for joining us this morning. This is my first time preaching in our new building. Uh, so it's great to be up here and to have all this new equipment and be in this new building. And it's also my first time preaching while you wear masks. And so I know uh, it's hard for Baptists, but let's be a little more verbal this morning. All right? Amen? Amen. Okay, good response. We'll have a good time this morning. Um, as we dive in, go ahead and, and turn to Luke chapter 4. We're in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. But before I, I start talking about verses 14, 14 through 30, I just want to review just a little bit this morning. So we've been in the Gospel of Luke for almost two months now, and Luke has been revealing to us and to this guy named Theophilus, who is a friend of God, a lover of God. That's what his name literally means, friend of God. And Luke has been revealing to us that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught about Jesus Christ. So Luke so far has shown us true accounts in detail with specific detail of Jesus' birth, of his early years of life, of his baptism, and as we saw last week, his temptation. 
And through this time, Luke has shown us that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the greater Adam who has overcome temptation. And we come to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and we are going to see that Jesus is the promised Messiah who is rejected by the prideful, but is accepted by the humble. That Jesus is the promised Messiah who is rejected by the prideful, but is accepted by the humble. So let's pray and then we'll dive right into the text. Father, I, I pray this morning for our hearts. I pray that we will see and understand that you have come not for the proud, but for the meek. Father, I pray we will see that in our pride we are choosing to reject you. And I pray that will break our hearts and we will humbly submit to your grace. Father, you sent Jesus to be the Messiah for all. So I pray this morning we will see the Messiah and humbly lay down our pride to follow after him in all areas of our life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, we come to this transition statement from Luke. From Luke. So let's look at those first two vo- verses real quick. Verses 14 and 15. Luke says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus, the Son of God, has come out of the wilderness after overcoming temptation from Satan and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus moves to start his ministry. And Luke records for us that Jesus returned to this area of Galilee, which is an area with many little towns, but he returns there and he starts his preaching tour. He starts his ministry. And we see that word quickly spread that the man John the Baptist was talking about, that the Son of God was teaching in synagogues, that he was preaching, that he was being glorified by all. And everyone was trying to see him. Everyone was trying to get Jesus to come to their church to preach, to hear what he has to say. And Luke continues transitioning into our main text this morning. And he says in verse 16, "And and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So Jesus, led by the Spirit, he heads back to his hometown in Nazareth where he grew up. And Luke chapter 2 tells us Jesus grew up in Nazareth. It was in Nazareth where he was filled with the wisdom of God, where God's favor was laid upon him. And Jesus comes back home, and as was his custom, what does he do? He goes to church. Jesus went to church, and he went every Saturday. You're like, Saturday? We go to church on Sunday. Back then, they went to church on Saturday. And it was his routine. That was his custom, to gather at church and hear the word of God read and hear the word of God taught. 
And Jesus shows up to church in his hometown and the Nazarites or, or the Nazarenes, his people, his hometown people, they are excited because one of their very own, Yeshua, is back home. Jesus is back home. They have heard about this They've heard about his teachings. They've heard about his ministry throughout Galilee, that John the Baptist said he was the son of God, God, and now he is back home at our little church. Yeshua is home. And I imagine the room just being packed in anticipation, right? All eyes locked on him for what, what is Yeshua, what is Jesus going to say, what is he going to read And an elderly man stands up and he hands him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus knows exactly where to go. He knew God's word. He studied it growing up. He dedicated his life to it. And he knew what God wanted him to share. And Jesus being led by the spirit under the wisdom of God, he stands up. Back then they would stand up for the reading of God's word and he reads a few verses from Isaiah 61. And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And at this point when the rabbi or the the teacher would sit down, everyone's eyes would turn on them because at that point, that is when they're going to explain the text and teach the text. So Jesus sits down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. The anticipation, what is Yeshua going to say about this passage? And he begins to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus stands up in front of everyone in the synagogue and says, God has anointed me to be the Messiah. That today God's word is fulfilled in me. Jesus is the one to bring the good news to the poor. Jesus is the one to proclaim freedom to those enslaved. Jesus is the one that is going to heal the blind and heal those who are sick. sick. Jesus is the one that is going to bring justice to the oppressed. Jesus says, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And immediately as he says that term, the year of the Lord's favor, everyone in the room, their mind goes back to the Old Testament because they know the Old Testament. That's what has been taught them. And they go back to the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee brings up in their minds that every 50 years, all their debts are forgiven. All the land that was, that was sold all the slaves that were taken into slavery, they're set free. Property is given, returned back to whoever owned it. Jesus is the Messiah who will usher in the Lord's favor. Jesus is the one who is going to bring forgiveness to all. So what do the people do? Look at verse 22. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? You see, this group of people, the Jews here, have placed their eyes on the one who is there to save them, to be their king. They're in awe at what Jesus had just said, right? The Jews have been waiting over 400 years for someone to come and say, I am here to save you. And Jesus stands up in his hometown and he says, I am the Messiah. I am the one that is going to save you. The Lord's favor is here. The Messiah has finally come and they cannot believe that it's Joseph's son. It's Yeshua. He's one of us. He grew up in Nazareth. He's he's going to be their hero. Jesus, he, he goes from a little hometown boy to a hero. He becomes the hometown hero. And they think, finally, something good is going to come from Nazareth. The Jews here in Nazareth, they believe that Jesus is going to be the one who is going to come to rout the Romans and bring a corrupt political system, bring down a corrupt political system. That Jesus is going to be the one to give them back their land, to give them back their kingdom that he is going to rescue them, that he's going to put everyone else in their lower place. See, they are God's chosen people. They were given the covenants of God back in the Old Testament. They followed God's, God's laws. They are from the flesh of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and Jesus is one of them. And today, the Messiah has brought salvation for the Jews. But in their excitement, in their excitement about Jesus being their Savior, Jesus, he turns to them. And look at verse 23. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Here, Jesus tells them, you are going to reject me because of your pride. See, Jesus knows the very religious people standing before him today they will reject him because he is not who they want him to be. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud. And that is exactly what is going on here. And you're like, what? I thought Jesus was the savior of the Jews. And now their savior is calling them out? Jesus says, you will say this to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do all the miracles you did at Capernaum. Do here for us. Jesus understands their heart. And he knows how they're going to respond in the future. And he sees past their pride. And he calls them out for it. And he addresses their heart. He addresses that they want his miracles, his work to be done for them and them only. 
See, they are not looking to work for God's kingdom, but they want God to work for theirs. Jesus, he confronts their prideful belief that God loved them only. See, the Jews mistook Jesus' words to mean that he is their Messiah. But in fact, Jesus is not just their Messiah. Jesus has come to be the Messiah. And Jesus calls them out on their pride and says, you will never accept me because you do not believe in who I am. Your pride will lead you to reject me. And Jesus continues in the next three verses and he reveals their prideful unbelief. But in the same verses that he opposes their pride, he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Look at verses 25 through 27. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) Why does Jesus turn to start talking about a widow named Zarephath and a leopard named Naaman? That doesn't help me with why the Jews would reject him, right? Well, let's look at it a little deeper. Let's be good stewards of God's word. Let's be good Bible students. Let's see what what he is referencing here. And if you look at the, the first story that Jesus mentions of the widow named Zarephath, Jesus takes us, he takes them back to 1 Kings chapter 17, and he shares a story about how there were widows in Israel during this great, fam- this great famine where there was no rain, where there was no food for three years. And God's prophet Elijah is sent not to a widow in Israel, to his own people, but he's sent to a Gentile woman an enemy of Israel, and her name was Zarephath. She's from Sidon. Sidon is where Jezebel is from. Sidon is a land that is filled with pagan worship. Look with me at 1 Kings 17. If you have your Bibles, turn there. 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So famine is happening happening all across the land because Israel's king Ahab, he's he's an evil king, and he does not obey the one true God. And so God then sends Elijah outside of Israel to Zarephath, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city, Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son and that I may eat and die. Zarephath is broke. She's completely poor. Famine has ravished the area. She has nothing left but a little flour and oil, and she's out gathering sticks so she can cook her last meal for her and her son. This was going to be it for her. And Elijah, he asks her for food and for water. Verse 13, and Elijah said, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something good for yourself and your son. Are you kidding me? This is all that the lady has. And Elijah says, bring me your food first. How easy would it be for that lady to say, who are you? No, this is my food. Me and my son need this. This is all we have left. We're going to eat this little mount, and then we're going to go, and we're going to die. And Elijah, he says in verse 14, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So instead of saving the bread for her and her son, She humbles herself, and in faith, she gives food to Elijah. She sets aside her pride. She sets aside her starvation, and she serves Elijah first. See, God went outside of Israel to a Gentile woman, an enemy of Israel, and she put her faith and trust in him. God showed her favor. All right, back in Luke 4, verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So now Jesus moves and he takes the Jews to a story in 2 Kings 5. Another prophet of God, Elijah, he takes them there. And what you need to know about Naaman the Syrian is that he was the commander of the Syrian army. He is a great enemy to Israel, and he was a leper. He had just recently gone into Israel on a raid and carried off a little girl. Carried off one of the kids that were, are in our kids' area. He carried her off, and he took her back, and she became Naaman's wife's slave. Well, this little girl of Israel, she saw that this great This great commander of the Syrian army had leprosy. And she turns to him and she says, Sir, I know someone who can heal you. So Naaman, 
he goes on a journey and he goes to find Elijah because he has heard that Elijah can cure him of his leprosy. And he eventually, Naaman eventually finds Elijah. Well, Elijah turns to Naaman and he tells him, great mighty commander, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And if you do this, then your flesh would be restored and you will be clean. And Naaman, in his, res- in his response, he goes, no way am I going to go to the Jordan River and wash myself seven times. I am this great commander of the Syrian army. Israel hates me. What will they do when they see me coming into the Jordan River? What will they think of me? Plus, the Jordan River's disgusting. I'm from Syria, and we have real rivers up in Syria. I'm not going to look like a fool walking in and out of the Jordan River seven times. And in Naaman's response here in 2 Kings 5, he reveals his pride. And he shows his pride that he thinks he is great and mighty. Who is this guy to tell him to go to the Jordan and wash himself seven times? But eventually, Naaman's servant encourages him to do what Elijah has said. 2 Kings 5, verses 13 through 14. The servant says, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. This great, mighty commander now had skin as soft and as smooth as a baby. And he goes back to Elijah, and in verse 15 of 2 Kings 5, he says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This Gentile, this enemy of God, this enemy of Israel, set aside his pride, and he had faith in God to heal him. And this Gentile worshiped worshiped God. God showed favor on him. So here we have two stories of enemies of Israel, people Israel looked down upon, Gentiles, one a poor widow, the other a leopard, but they both humble themselves by the grace of God. You see, God's grace is not just for the Israelites, but it is for all who will humbly lay down their pride and believe in him. And the Jews in Nazareth, they hate that someone other than themselves, other than them, can receive this salvation. They hate that the Messiah has come for anyone who will believe. They thought they were the poor. They thought they were the captives. They were the blind. They were the oppressed. They thought the Lord's favor was solely for them. And Jesus responds and says, my favor, my forgiveness, my healing, my riches, my liberty is for those who will set themselves aside and trust and believe. Let's look how the Jews respond in verse 28 and 29. 
back in Luke chapter 4. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with what? Wrath. And they rose up and they grabbed Jesus and they drove him out of the town and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. They respond in prideful unbelief. You're not the Messiah. You're not who you say you are. There is no way. The Messiah that is to come, he's going to usher in our kingdom. He's going to save our people. He wouldn't save Gentiles. He wouldn't save our enemies. God's grace cannot be extended to the dirty. And their pride Their pride shows their enmity. Their pride has led them to be hostile towards the Messiah. And ultimately, they reject him and they try to kill him. So let me ask you this. In your pride, do you use God to serve your agenda? Are you here serving God for the right reasons? Are you serving God because you want to get something out of it like health, wealth, or happiness? Do you feel like you deserve something for what you do for God? Or maybe the question you need to ask yourself is how do you respond when God doesn't give you what you think you deserve? Or how do you respond when someone else succeeds or someone else is giving a blessing that you thought you deserved? Do you respond with joy, rejoicing in what the Lord has done for you? Or do you respond in anger? Do you respond in pride? You see, God, he doesn't fit in our pockets. His grace is for you and so much more. It is for all. And because of his grace that is freely given to all, we then humble ourselves and we live for Christ. And if you continue to live in your pride, then there will be a day when you get angry at God because he didn't give you what you think you deserve. And some of us are sitting in here this morning and we're experiencing this anger in our lives. Do not let this anger lead you to reject Jesus, but let your anger reveal your heart and humbly turn away. Humbly repent from self and cast your eyes on the Messiah. Set your eyes on the one who said today, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because those words are true for you. Those words were true for his people in his hometown. But those words are also true for you that Jesus is the Messiah and he has come. He is here today to forgive you of your pride and set you free from your sin. So believer and unbeliever, the question for us today, do you respond, how do you respond to the Messiah? Do you think that it is about you? 
If so, your pride will lead you to reject Jesus. Or will you respond in humility, laying aside your pride? And if you respond that way, then your humility will lead you into God's grace and he will use you in participation on his mission to glorify him. Because it's not about you. It is all about Christ. It is all about God. And Norris Ferry Community Church, let's be a church that is not caught up in our pride, trying to make the gospel fit our agenda for South Shreveport. Let's not be that church, but let's be a church who humbly says, Lord, you have brought us your grace. You have brought us the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now let's do everything we can to get this message out, not just to South Shreveport, but to Bossier, to New Orleans, to all the earth. Let's be willing to say, Lord, whatever it looks like, we are in. We lay down our pride and we look to you and we set our heart and our minds on you because you are the Messiah and you have come for all. Let's pray. Father, the way we lay aside our pride, the way we are moved to humble ourselves is by looking to your son, Jesus, the Messiah. Your word in Philippians tells us to adopt the same attitude of Christ. In Christ, he came and he emptied himself to become a man. And in his humanity, he humbled himself becoming obedient to you and your will, even to the point of death. So Father, I pray that we are moved today to humble ourselves, to look at your love for all and look to Christ. It is Christ, the Messiah, who has come to proclaim himself to the poor. He has come to set us free from our bondage to sin, to bring justice for all who are oppressed. It is because of Christ we are forgiven. Father, because of Christ, would you move us to set aside our desires and our wants, to confess that we have been We have been seeking our own glory, our own praise, our own agenda. Father, forgive us for our prideful unbelief and move us to cry out, not my will, but your will be done. Father, may that be the anthem of this church. Not my will, but your will be done. We love you. And all all God's people said, amen. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree, his body. 
His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name.
What a powerful challenge this morning to, to really challenge us to think about it. Is, is our personal self-centered agenda colliding with God's agenda for the gospel of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I pray that all of us will just really stop and think about that and, and just be encouraged to say, Lord, I don't want my agenda to inhibit what you're trying to do in my life or in, through this church in the lives of many other people. So I just pray that you are encouraged to, to examine your own heart that way. Thank you. Would you be seated for just a moment? And if you're a guest, we especially want to thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we want, through all the masks, you to see our smiling faces and to say we love you and are so glad that you have, have worshipped with us and, and made it a, a priority to, to come and just visit and get to know us. And we want to help you get connected. And to do that, one of the best things to do is you can text us, uh, text NFCC guest to the number 97,000, and then you can text NFCC info to the number 97,000. When you do that, you'll get a response through text. One will be a little connect card you can fill out digitally, and Kevin will be in touch this week to just say, hey, how can we help you get connected? Another thing is if you text NFCC info, you'll be subscribing to a, a weekly newsletter, and uh, it comes, you can get it on your phone, you get a computer, and it tells you everything that's going on in the church. Uh, all the calendar events, you get some resources to help you study God's Word. Uh, I think you'll find it really uh, worth it. You can unsubscribe anytime. So if you text NFCC info, uh, text 97,000 to, to 97,000, you'll find that uh, newsletter weekly coming to your inbox. Uh, just a few things that are, just for example, that are on that uh, connection group, how to get connected. Uh, we're in the middle of one right now, so you'll want to jump in the next one that we offer uh, in the uh, coming months ahead. But it really helps you get connected. Shine's going on for K-4 through 5th grade. Great resource for kids to get trained up in the Word. Um, also, just want to make you aware that at 9 o'clock, during the 9 o'clock hour, there's a core class that we, we've started a new cycle. There's a seven-week cycle going right now. So if you were uh, a parent and want to or work with kids and you want to look at biblical uh, guidance on how to set boundaries for kids and help them, that class is going on for the next seven weeks. You can grab, jump in next week. Uh, there's a men's Bible study. So text NFCC info to 97,000. You'll get all these uh, announcements of what's going on uh, in the week that you'll want to get plugged into. Let me invite you to stand and let me just close this with a benediction. May the Lord bless you with his grace. May he convince you of the great joy and privilege to spread his grace from neighbors to nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.